0: Welcome to the Clueless at the Work podcast, where we talk through a framework for being successful in your job. My name is Anthony Garone, and I'll be hosting this show with some friends who are experts in helping people grow. The content is based on my book, Clueless at the Work, Advice from a Corporate Tyrant, which is published by Stairway Press. You can find out more at cluelessatthework.com. All right, so we are back with Matthew P. Roush. Good morning. Good morning. And Andy Fry. Good morning. Hopefully the listener is hearing this in the morning, so that greeting is
1: welcome (laughs)
0: and appropriate.
1: Also good evening. Good day. If that's your thing. (laughs) Happy Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) If they listen to it on
0: a Wednesday. (laughs) All right, so we didn't really get on track for uh, talking about doing well. Uh, but in, in my book, I've got doing well means you know the nuances of doing a job. You know how to navigate through problems. You don't need assistance to complete whatever it is you're working on. And basically a, a three step uh, sign that you know what you're doing. Number one, you have a problem. Number two, you independently identify how to solve the problem. And number three, you complete the work without escalation or unnecessarily
2: bothering anyone. What do you think? Is this the part where I call bullshit on this tree-hugging stuff? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Happy dappy crap. (laughs) The thing
0: that has bothered me, I guess, as a manager, is when you try delegating something and... You know the person has all the skills required. They have all the information that they need, but then they get helpless, you know? It's like my kids, you know? uh, And I, I refer to my kids a lot because we as children and they as children are and were clueless. I can be like, sweep the floor. I'm not good at sweeping the floor. Like okay, there's not really a good at sweeping. There's not like, <laughs> there's no like expert skill. There's no extraordinary sweeper, you know. <laughs> you pick up the broom and you move the garbage from the floor, right? And then you you sweep it up. It's not hard. And then the evaluation of whether it's done is you survey the floor. And if there's no garbage, you know, discernible garbage. but And yet, and yet... I will say to one of my kids, go, go sweep the floor. Then I, they're like, I'm done. Can you come look? I'm like, do I really need to look? Yeah. And then I go over there. There's like a jacket on the floor. It was like, you know, a bean from dinner, like three beans or something. There's like a pile of quinoa, you know, like, did what were you sweeping? What did you do? And I just think they they know how to do well. My kids know how to do well. And if it was something else that they wanted to do, like building a Lego set, like a thousand piece Lego set, they could do that. All over it. But sweeping the floor, you gotta be kidding me. It's almost brainless. It takes almost no talent to sweep a floor. And yet, (laughs) (laughs) and I think about that at work. You know, you're paying someone 60, 80, 100 grand to do a job, tens of thousands of dollars And then you, you try delegating a task, which may be the functional equivalent of sweeping the floor. Like, can you send an email to this person about this and it doesn't get done or it gets done poorly. And the the last thing I want is to be interrupted. Like if you delegate something, you don't want the person just constantly asking you questions, especially if you've trained them or something like that. So. For me, doing well is largely about being able to do the major responsibilities and requirements of your job without anyone needing to help you unnecessarily.
2: So it is the person, it is the managers or hiring manager or whatever the situation is there with the person that they report to. It is their responsibility to ensure that the person can do it or not. Absolutely. So. That means um, regular accountability checks. If you do delegate something, you follow up, mm-hmm. and you follow up until both of you are comfortable that you don't need to follow up anymore. Right. Both of you, right? So they may not need you. They may may think that you don't need to follow up, but if you don't think that you don't need to follow up, <laughs> <laughs> there should be a two way thing there. So. Sometimes I've run into situations where a manager uh, will hire somebody. They have a skill set. They hire them. We put them to work. Um, and they expect them to do the job. Mm-hmm. But there's not any leeway given for the training curve of understanding the environment of the organization. Right. Not the work itself, but who has the knowledge that I need? Um, where are the tools that I need to do the job? All those take hand-holding. And it's okay mm-hmm. to hold hands out of the gate. Right. It is. Um, there is a time after whatever that learning curve is that they should be independently successful. Um, but a lot of failures are because the manager failed, right? The manager failed the employee. Um, so if the person that you're hiring, you aren't familiar enough with their level of confidence, you aren't familiar enough with their ability to ask questions or get the information they need from the right people or right locations, then you need to hold their hand. Absolutely. You are responsible to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a
0: big difference between context, stylistic preference, and just being able to do the thing. You know, when you hire someone, these are the 10 bullets of your job, you know, on the description. We expect you to be able to do them. The questions to be asked should be about context and stylistic preference. Not necessarily the, how do I do this?
2: And you get to the point where... You should be questioning your hiring practices because if you hire somebody and you think they can do something, or if you're hiring for potential, you need to separate that Um, because potential takes a lot of investment. And if you don't have the time to invest in that, then you shouldn't be hiring for potential. You're setting that up for failure. Um, And think of their lives. They're a human. We're going to have to fire them. Mm -hmm. That's painful. That's humiliating. Whatever the situation, it doesn't feel good. So we owe it to them as an employee to if we're going to hire for potential then you need to train through that process you Absolutely. need to hold their hand through that yep if you've taken those steps and they we all hire bad people sometimes well let's say bad hires rather than bad people because yeah. the people i don't think you're hiring someone who wants to fail right but they may have gone above where they are able to do that may be the situation and that happens they oversell Oversell and under deliver (laughs) and you need to hold them accountable and go through a process of, can you do it? Here's what you need. What do you think you need? Go through the training process. And then you know what? This isn't the best place for you. This is, this job is not going to work out well for you. Why don't I give you some time to look for something else? And you part ways you need to make that decision pretty early on in that process.
0: What do you do if you're the individual contributor and you find yourself in a situation where the manager has delegated to you and
2: expects you to just go do it. It depends on where you are in your career. You don't hire many individual contributors that don't have 15, 20 years experience. Well, a lot of people do. you I'm saying
0: like, let's say you're someone with five years experience, right? Fairly early in your career. Something gets delegated to you. The boss doesn't want to hear, I don't know how to do this. But you still have questions. You still need to understand the context, the stylistic preferences, whatever it is of the organization, of the boss. How do you handle that? I I think think there's going to be more people in that situation hearing this
1: conversation than there's going to be managers. I, I, I used to handle that situation by, uh, running around trying to find the answers myself because I did not want to piss off the boss. Like he told me you need to make this thing happen. Uh, that, and, and that was the end of the conversation that to me felt like, don't bother me anymore until you come back with the end result. Now, the, that was going to mention something too. In the moment when, when something is being delegated, one of the big, uh, repeating patterns I see a lot is, uh, the employee doesn't have a, a good sense of the expectations. So it's also on the manager or supervisor to make sure that those expectations are clearly set because mm-hmm. a lot of that is just communication. So there can be crappy managers who don't describe what the end goal is. So um, I, I see that actually quite a lot where somebody's very nebulous, ambiguous, you know, I need blah, blah, blah done. Uh, this needs to be doing this. And then there's a whole bunch of holes. And the person's like, I don't want to go bother the boss now and I don't know how to fill in those holes. And now it's going to take forever. And on the, on the flip side, the employee should hopefully show some maturity and just speak up, be vulnerable and say, I don't know what that means. So can we talk about this and fill in these blanks for me? I need, like you said, context style. All I need all that. Um, speak up, ask, it's a two-way street um, but starting with the end in mind and having a clear vision of what that is clears up a lot of the problems with stuff like that
0: I think that's that's a big difference like uh, start with the end in mind because back to just the simple floor sweeping example in my mind the floor is clean in my kid's mind I move the broom back and forth over the the floor and then I pick up whatever it is that happened to move around with the broom and I think that's that's the difference between doing well and just being there to get a paycheck like someone who can envision the end like when I finish this task here's what that will look like here's the information I don't have right now that I need from you versus I think a presumptuous expectation of hand-holding like beyond what hand holding often requires and that's i guess where i feel i get irritated as a manager or even as a as someone who's been delegated to my boss or my boss's boss you know the cto will often say go take care of this and i'm like okay i don't even know what challenges she's facing at the time i don't know what she's looking for me to solve i don't know what the solution looks like but i have to go figure that out And, um, sometimes I can ask, okay, what does that mean to you? But other, other times I can't, the frustrating thing is when you deliver something and then you're told that was wrong, but I think the more senior you get in your career, the less often that happens, but it's still bound to
2: happen. And that's okay. It's because of the communication. It it comes down to the communication that first of all, the person that's delegating, can't assume that the person you're delegating to has the same level of motivation that you do or the or even ambition
0: or even the experience that led to the problem
2: correct or so, the full vision right they might not understand how it affects the entire organization or what the situation is specifically so i while i am like you if justin says i need this done i'll say okay and i'll make sure it's done whatever that takes because most of that time it's if I don't understand why that needs to happen, um, I'll go find out why, and I'll go above and beyond that's, but you can't assume folks that you hire are going to react that way. Right. Unfortunately, right. there's this phrase of millennials that we use occasionally. It, it, it's a lazy way to, to phrase because there's a millennial reaction to things like, um, well, I did my job i told you i could create 100 widgets i'm doing 100 widgets therefore i deserve a promotion there are some aspects of that but there is aspects of that in every generation so i think it would be helpful if we were to look at folks to understand um, communicate communicate clear earlier in the job during the interview process this is what i'm like as a manager what are you like Mm -hmm. how do you like to be managed those are the, the things that i think will be helpful as opposed to can you get A, B, and C done? Once you've taken that, once you've get that, gotten that out of the way, then the communication should be about, this is how I manage. I will de- I will give something to you and expect you to get it done in two weeks.
0: And that's managing up. You know, managing sure. up means I know what my boss is looking for when he or she asks me to do something. And it's not telling my boss what is going to happen. It's more like, what are they after? Why are they after this? Why are they asking me? But I feel that there's, I've I've experienced several people who have sort of an entitled um and I'm not talking about millennials specifically just this idea of well I'll just give Anthony whatever it is that I think he wants or needs instead of thinking about what I'm asking cuz I know I'm not going to be I- I'm more ambiguous I err on the side of ambiguity and people often leave a conversation with me like what was that about And I don't think, oh, I really gave them all the information. I think I shared my thoughts. They understand how I'm thinking about this. But I know I'm not setting people up for success because my brain is just into creative artist. You know, like I used the words and I said things well. And instead of like, I gave you the specifics, I gave you the details. That's just not how I operate. So it can be frustrating to me when I feel like, I've shared everything that I think you need to know, but the other person is not the weird creative artist, lofty, whatever type.
1: <laughs> if but
2: it's my fault. It's my fault as the manager. It is. Yeah. But if you've hired someone, and to go back to your question from 10 minutes ago, say somebody's in this career for five minutes and they're in a situation. So I am now a person with five years experience. Uh, my new boss or existing boss has given me a, a, a responsibility or a project. I'm going to have to step above and beyond. I'm going to have to show some ambition to get the information, um, uh, to get that thing done because I said I could do it when I was hired. Right. So it will take extra effort. It will take more than 37 and a half hours in a week to get that stuff done. Yeah. And that's something that I'm facing in my current job.
0: People are saying, Oh, this job is so chaotic. I mean, we're in a, we're ending our first year of acquisition. We're technically in the first couple months of the second year of acquisition by a fortune 100 company and people are saying oh the job is so chaotic the the strategy is changing every couple months i never know what i'm doing like one week after another but in every single person i've that, that i interviewed i said are you okay working in a chaotic environment do you know how to make order out of chaos and i document all of their answers so like i can very easily go into my interview notes and say, yep, I asked that person. I here's the answer that they gave me. But um, once they're in the chaotic environment, it's like, oh, this is crazy. Like, yeah, I told you it'd be crazy. You know,
2: so there's. <laughs> we have to give room for the fact we're dealing with humans. That's right. So I I deal with that. I've dealt with that situation a lot, a lot. Actually, when I worked in Chicago one of the big things that I wanted to know if they could handle, do you, can you handle being in a car for two hours? If you live 20 miles from Chicago, it'll take you two hours to get downtown. Have you done that? Tell me when you've done that. Mm-hmm. Cause if you haven't done it, but you tell me you can, I'm not going to hire you because you haven't experienced this, this stress of sitting in traffic and being a mile and a half an hour. Right. That's so if you haven't done it, um, and you say that you have, or you give an example of something that is false there's there's we're not putting people on um lie detector tests in interviews if you're able to be the most honest you can about the environment that you are hiring a person into and they're not being honest about the experience they've had but rather they think in their mind i have the willingness to do it and i have a lot of ambition therefore i'll be successful therefore i'll say i've done it Relationship on them for sure right, right.
0: And that's why those experience-based questions are so important. Tell me a time when you, you know, worked in a chaotic environment. What was that like? How did you handle it? But they're not going to be on a lie detector. No, they're not. So it's up to you as the interviewer to sniff out
2: whether it's like,
0: okay, is this truthy?
2: Is there a lot of truthiness in this? That's why I tell folks, even as I, even folks that have 15 or 20 years experience, I will tell them, how does it feel in your gut when you talk to them? I can, <laughs> you have, you can't dismiss your, and we don't have instincts scientifically, but you, you have to go with the feeling in your gut. Are they making you at ease or not? If mm-hmm. they aren't, then I don't care what their answer was. Don't hide. Right.
1: Them. Right. This is what we've talked about before at melt. Uh, people in interviews like on the melt side, interviewing someone, uh, will, will hit people with questions and, and, pressing questions and tough questions and make the person uncomfortable. And my view is I think you need to make them comfortable, make it make it so that we all are kind of more friendly. And this is just a, a, a relaxed conversation because they're, I think your odds of getting more honest answers when the people realize that you are also human sitting across the table and that, you know, everybody is chill and fine with whatever they, I think they give up more when they're super comfortable, when it's suit and tie and, and lights shining on them and everyone's sitting in the shadow behind and, and hitting them with these ridiculous interrogation type questions, they get uptight. You know, their sphincter closes up and they start to want to be on the absolute best behavior and they'll make stuff up to get the job, especially if it's a cool place, you know, that they're trying to get into. So that's why I, I watch that happen sometimes. It's kind of left over from probably old school stuff. You and I have talked about this, Matt. It was a style. It was a style. And it it just makes me laugh because that's also, I would actually get,
2: there would be complaints to my CEO about the way I interviewed. Applicants would call the company's boss to say, Matt made me feel bad during this interview. (laughs) (laughs) Is that...
0: Is that a transformational, you know, yes. the welcome slap in the face oh, moment? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah,
2: and the first, this didn't happen once or twice. I mean, it was several times, um, and the first couple of times, I was like, "And <laughs> 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 I and? want them to feel uncomfortable. I want that's that's it's not an effective way. You, you don't want to scare somebody into a situation where they'll say anything, um, or where they feel like." Um, You want them to feel comfortable so that they are more trusting of you because you need to build some sort of rapport in this hour, hour and a half conversation, which isn't easy to do so that they feel like they can provide accurate information, scaring them into it's not, it's not going to do it. If you diminish or demean their experience or, um, call out situations that actual humans run into, like, yes, I got fired from that role. Um, I didn't have a job for eight months as I was looking for something else. You can't judge that whole thing as a gap in their employment until you know all the facts. And they're not going to share the facts with you until they trust you.
0: Right. I think we're talking about kind of a spectrum where if they don't have enough information, they should be very honest. And then, you know, it's like, The number of questions will go up, but at least they should be vulnerable and all of that. Whereas if they have a lot of experience on the other end of this graph, you know, the spectrum, whatever, there shouldn't be a lot of questions. And, um, I mean, you always want to be honest, but like, I think if you really don't have much information, you need to say something like, I know you might be expecting me to know this already. Here's what I do know. Here's what I don't know you know, I want to have a conversation about the problem, not about their inability to do something. And I think, um, I think if I, I have my own expectation, that's very difficult to get rid of a bias, you know, well, you've got this much experience. I asked you about this in your interview. You seem to be confident. You, you know, you sold me on the fact that you know how to do this. And then when you don't, it's aggravating. And I know that I can, and I often do train them through the problem, but the real training is how to handle the problem or the inability to do the problem, not the problem itself, you know? So I always think that there's like some sort of layer above that has to do with doing well. The doing well is often not the the actual problem itself. It's like how you handle the problem. And and I think just over the years, you you get that level of experience where I understand what the expectations are of solving a problem, not solving this problem, solving a problem. So I think that's, um, that's kind of what I'm getting at with doing well. Obviously you get good at like HR garbage or whatever that is. (laughs) (laughs) HR garbage. Speaking (laughs) of hugging trees. (laughs) No, no, you get good at the discipline of whatever it is that you practice. Right. But you also need to recognize It's, it's like that, what the Dunning Kruger effect, like the, Mm -hmm. the better you say that you are, the worse you are at it. The more you have to talk about it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the
2: more insecure you are about it. That's right. So the, the piece about, um, if you have five years experience, if you're 25, 28 years old and you're in a situation where, um, you're uncomfortable or you don't think you can solve or complete this project that's been given to you, there absolutely has, I, I don't know of people that I work with now would react adversely to you coming to them. And it's all about the approach to say, can I have five minutes? Mm-hmm. Look, this is the situation I'm in. I know 60% of this. I don't even know where to get the other 40%. If you have an honest conversation like that, and then you put forth the effort after they give you the answers, that's what it is. That's the, that's the above and beyond I'm talking yeah. about. That's yep. that's the, the effort you have to take to get those things accomplished, but you have to be honest about it. You have to be. Yep. So another
0: thing, practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. <laughs> and I think that it's really easy for people to teach themselves to be a victim or to be bad at a job or to be excellent, you know, or to, to be a problem solver, you know. And um, I use the example of my kids learning how to play piano. I don't play piano, but I know the basic technique. And If I see them like smashing their fingers down like sausages, you know, on the keys, I'm like, guys, you got to play with your fingertips. I am. No, you're not. You're actually just slamming flat fingers down, you know, on the keys. No I'm not. It's like, you are, you're just not even realizing it. And I think we do that at work all the time. We practice a way of solving a problem, but it's an ineffective form of practice. And I think that's what we're getting at here, like get good at getting good and learn what it means to actually practice doing a job, whether it's in in the context of your company or your boss or in the industry. I think it's important to recognize what you're practicing and whether what you're practicing is good for you, because I really do believe there's poor patterns that you can pick up through poor practice. One of the ways,
2: so there's, there's been quite a few positions where you hire for potential as I referred to earlier. Um, and the reason is then you don't need to break, break bad habits. Um, and that is a theory again, that can work well if you're willing to make the investment for that mm-hmm. to happen. And even the phrase bag bad habits can be, um, tainted because it's what made them successful in what they're doing now it may not be in the environment you're in now so i think if you if folks again are clearer about even if i'm hiring somebody for potential i think you can do the job that needs to be said i think you have the ability to do it and i believe that i can give you the tools but you will need to step up to make that happen Mm -hmm. i'm not hiring you because i think you can do the job i'm hiring you because i think you can do the job someday So it, you can't, um, well, you can, but you shouldn't be in a position where, um, you're presenting a role as okay. You are the best person I've interviewed, or you have the best skill set of the folks that I've interviewed. You may not, you may just have the most rapport during the interview process. Yeah. Um, you may have answered things, the, 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 what they feel as the most, honestly, as someone that they like and someone they want to work with, Mm -hmm. can they do the job? that really depends on remains to be seen.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really tough. You know, I'm really glad to hear you bringing it back to management over and over because it really, as a message to the individual contributors listening, it really is up to the manager to make you successful. Like you can be super smart, super capable, but in the wrong environment, You won't do well. You can't do well. It's true. Yep. And there's this kind of a, a performance based absorbing barrier. It's like everything that you might be good at could be all the joy and talent and everything can be sucked out of you by this absorbing barrier. And that could just be an attitude. It could be a, a doubt. It could be a culture of pressure, you know, dynamics that are out of your control. So to do well, sometimes requires, well, it always requires a good manager, but sometimes
1: you can still do well with a bad manager. You said manage up earlier. That's right. And yeah, I've had those managers where I've had to, you learn their style, you learn what they don't do. You learn what their language is, their personality. Uh, you know, they'll delegate things, but give you few instructions. Um, but you learn what maybe the end goal is. You, you get you get uh, attuned to the way they go. So you just uh, you put things in front of them, keep them occupied, do what you need to do to get the, the things done. You know, and, and you kind of co-manage. You're managing yourself. You're managing them. That's right. But they they feel like they're managing and they're doing their job. But that's a win-win. They're happy. Things are good. That's success, and you both move forward. Um, but you've got to be very aware, very mature, uh, patient. <laughs> Those all come along with doing your stuff well. Yeah. At maturity level. And
0: I think the more mature you get, the more you realize you're just managing other people and their expectations. You have to do a job. Yes. You, like if you're a programmer, you've got to learn to write code and write it quickly and high quality and hopefully you get better at that over time. But I think the more senior you get, the less percentage of your time you spend doing that. You know, it get like if you're a senior developer, it's probably thirty to forty percent writing code, and sixty to seventy percent managing your managers, your team, expectations, because you're going to be the expert. It's going to be called into all these meetings. You're going to be the one consulted about deadlines. Can we do it by this time? Nobody's saying. Do you know how to fill in this function? You know, nobody's saying, how would you design this endpoint? A majority of the time when you're not doing the the job that you were hired to do, you're just managing expectations the higher up you go.
2: Yeah. I also think we need to be careful with the independent contributor title. If that's a a description of a role, because there's very, very few independent contributors. Right. Um, Almost all of us are dependent on and should be contributing <laughs> to, the, to the others in, that you work with in the organization. Even if you do, if there's nobody else in your team, if you don't report to anybody except the CEO or whatever that is, the interaction that you have and the communication that you have with the other people, your your, your teammates in the organization, any coworkers, um, that's all crucial to the success of the role and you as an right. individual. Right. So yeah, uh, I, I, I rarely phrase it as an independent contributor unless it is a, a scientific okay right you're the only person in that department
0: i just use it because it's a widely accepted term you know for someone who doesn't manage people but i agree and that's why in the book i'm constantly saying interdependent super organism like humanity is oh i haven't read the book so i, know, I don't know what i know <laughs> <laughs> but it's doing a great job weighing down things on your desk <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind the coffee stains on the top. <laughs> but in reality, we all depend on each other. You know, correct. there's there's no CEO that's that should be taking credit for whatever is happening <laughs> that at the company. Is correct. It should always be, thank you, team. You did the work. I have other things that I have to do to make the business the business function, meet stockholder expectations, investor expectations, whatever. But we wouldn't be
1: delivering without You a very excellent book by Simon Sinek leaders or, uh, yeah, leaders eat last. Mm -hmm. It's that whole, that's a whole whole concept. Right. Yeah.
0: Cool. So leaders listening, do a better job of investing in your people. You are responsible for their success and for people who don't manage. (laughs) 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 If you don't have, if you're not a manager, you still are managing and do your best to understand what your management team expects of you and what the rest of the company expects of you because you're still managing managing by influence. That's Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, that's right. Cool. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clueless at the Work podcast. You can pick up a copy of the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and at cluelessatthework.com, where you'll also find book excerpts, podcast transcriptions, and more related content. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and check out our previous episodes as we walk through the book content together.